So today, we're going to continue our faith series. We're going to be in James. If you guys want to turn with me, we're going to be in James chapter 2. Yeah, Bibles. If you don't, we've got a couple there on that back table. You can you can grab that, and it's there for your use. Okay, James chapter two, one to thirteen. My brothers, show no partiality as you hold to the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. For if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly. And a poor man in shabby clothes also comes in. And if you pay attention to the one who weighs, wears the fine clothing, and you say, you sit here in a good place, while you say to the poor man, you stand over there or sit down at my feet, have you not then made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my beloved brothers, has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be faith and heirs to the kingdom? Rich in, to be rich in faith and heirs to the kingdom, which he has promised to those who love him. But you have dishonored the poor man. Are not the rich the ones who oppress you and the ones who drag you into court? Are they not the ones who blaspheme the honorable name by which you were called? If you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You are doing well. But if you show partiality, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. Forever, for whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become guilty of all of it. For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. If you do not commit, commit adultery but do murder, you become a transgressor of the law. So speak and act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty. For judgment is without mercy to one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. So the, a little overview. Um, Rob brought us uh, James chapter 1 last week. And he uh, James is teaching out, you know, te- setting out to teach us that faith results in action. That faith works, in other words. Faith, faith results in real action. Things that you can see. Um, real faith inside of every believer should bear fruit. It should come out in a way that's visible and seen. In other words, we will do what we truly believe. He encourages us to take joy in trials, back in the, um, chapter 1, verse 1 and 2, because this faith that we have grows in steadfastness, and we become more complete. Um, really appreciate last, last week's sermon. Um, thanks for bringing that. I know that was a... a a long and, and tricky passage. But we are believers to grow in our faith. We are to grow in our faith. So in the first two chapters of James, um, his letter to the early Christians, he teaches them that this steadfast faith, when lived out, will be outwardly expressed in these ways. So first he talks about being quick to hear and slow to speak and slow to anger um, in verse 19. And then next he talks about being doers of the word and not hearers only, which we talk about a lot in this church. Um, when you do so, you deceive yourself. And he talks about that in chapter 1, verse 22. Next, he shows us that partiality, nowadays you could call that like favoritism or, or bias. Uh, 
is, uh, has no place in the faith, and that's where we're going to be today uh, in verses 1 to 13, which we just read. And then James, uh, next we'll talk about, um, and next week, he sums up every, all of this to show us that faith works. Faith works, and it comes out in these ways, and he shows us that faith without works is a dead faith, which is a strong statement. So today we're going to be in the, in the James 2, and he's talking about partiality. Partiality. It's a word we don't hear a lot. Like I said, there's some newer words, um, favoritism and bias. So if you like, if that's helpful to you, you can think of those, those words. Um, he starts off in verse 1. My brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. Um, partiality. I, ex- I was thinking about this, and I experienced partiality in a church once, and probably not in the way you would expect. Um, and I'm going to tell you the story. So I was about 19 years old, and I lived in central Illinois. And I was living by myself, and I was a construction worker. I built fences, uh, which was the hardest job I ever had. And I was what you call rough on the outside. Uh, not <laughs> So in addition, I didn't have what you would call a, a sense of style, or I really didn't have any vanity at all. So I, I wasn't really great, uh, great in appearance, or, you know, I was always comfortable in my most shabbiest clothes. And, you know, all, all the young men in this room could probably relate to that. Um, so... I was raised in a, in a pretty non-traditional church experience where we, we didn't dress up at, at all. And so it was, it was kind of a, a blowback from the, the previous era where it was like suit and tie and you got really into it. So that wasn't me. Um, and I, so I was living in Illinois at the time, and one Sunday I entered this particular church. I was looking for a church to go to because, because I was a believer and I knew I needed the body of Christ. So it was pretty big. It was probably like four times this size, maybe a 1,000 people. And uh, four or five times the size. Uh, near the end of the service, there was some kind of an altar call. And these, de- these deacons came down, and they started roaming the aisles like, like wolves looking for little, little rabbits in the bushes. And uh, it's for, so, so I, I was kind of, you know, kind of in the back just checking this place out. I was thinking, you know, this, you know the music is good. This church, is, this church seems great. I was going to find myself a place to go to church. And so the altar call came. The deacons started roaming the aisle. And then this one particular guy, a little bit excitable, kind of caught sight of me and sitting in the back with my, my less than, like, spiffed up appearance. And uh, so he, he caught sight of me, and he kind, of, he kind of waved his buddy over. And they came over, and they, they kind of knelt down, you know, and next to me, I was sitting in my chair, and they said, hey, brother, you know, would you, our lady called me brother, but they said, hey, man, would you like to go up and get saved? Today's the day of salvation. It's now or never. Turn or burn. Like, let, let's go. Come on. And... Um, so it was based purely on my appearance, completely and purely on my appearance. And so I had come out of the mission field at this point. So I had been a Christian for, for many years, and I knew what it meant to be saved to, to a pretty big degree. And I, I was a believer. So I, I kind of explained to him, like, hey, guy, great, you know, I'm saved. Like, you know, you guys can move along. Basically, I was super uncomfortable. I was very uncomfortable. I was very shy. And, it, and so, but they kind of insisted. They were like, man, you know, it's, you don't have to tell us that. Just, let's just go up and do this. Let's, and so we kind of had 
and I was like, you know, guys, I, I really am saved, man. Jesus is my savior. It's cool. Just, uh, you know, I'm, I'm all for this. I'm all for whatever it is you guys are doing. And so we kind of had ourselves a little, started to have ourselves a little bit of a scene right there in the, in the, in the altar call. Um, Jesus is already my Lord, man. Uh, you know, and so, and these guys were kind of starting to set me off a little bit. I was uh, super uncomfortable. Like, they, they had a quota to fill. There was a scoreboard up on the stage with numbers on it, and I was going to be that next number. And they were, they were super insistent, and I was super insistent in the other direction. And, and it, was, it was partiality based on the way um, I looked. We'll come back to that. So chapter 2. My brothers show no partiality as you hold to the faith. He starts off with speaking to the brothers. James, in this book, as we learned last week, is speaking to the Jewish Christians, the first generation of Christians who were in the dispersion. He calls them the dispersion. And what this dispersion was, was as this new religion kind of started with Jesus and the Messiah, and some Jews believed in him and some Jews didn't, they all, the you know, the Jews who didn't, just like they persecuted Jesus, they persecuted the early church. And so these Christians just, they started scattering. They dispersed, hence the word dispersion. Um, they dispersed outward, outward from Jerusalem, and they took the, the good news of Jesus everywhere with them. Um, and that was a God's glorious plan to spread the good news around the world. He allowed this persecution, and he used it to quickly do a very good thing to spread his word. Um, that's another lesson for another time, but it was in the Lord's plan. So he's telling these brothers, as he says in verse 1, these believers, that a living faith is impartial. In other words, their life of faith has no room for partiality. The life of their the life in which a Christian lives should not be marked in any way by favoritism or bias. Favoritism, partiality, or bias is antithetical to the Lord of glory, who he says in verse one, they hold their faith in. Jesus is the Lord of glory. So partiality is ungodly and has no place in the life of faith. To build up his point, he goes into this, this example which we read. And this example would have been something pertinent to this, this early group of believers. Um, in verse 2, he starts this scenario. So they're all in an assembly. They're all in a church gathering, probably something like this. And a guest comes in through the door. And this guy is loaded. He's obviously very wealthy. He's got nice clothes, and it says he had gold jewelry. Now, back then, before the middle class, which was kind of invented in America, they, that was super. You just you didn't have that unless you were wealthy. So the guy comes in the door. He's wealthy. So contrast this. James brings in the next guy. He says, the poor man was wearing shabby clothing, and he comes in the door. These societal divisions uh, in the old world and pretty much all over the place uh, up to, well, even maybe now, uh, were super strict. And it was uncommon for people in in one societal class to, to like, fraternize, to hang out with this other, like, a lower lower class. It just didn't happen. Now, obviously, we've got a little bit of a different thing going here. Um, So he lays out this example. This is partiality. 
the rich guy, the rich guest, is given preference based on his appearance, based on his fine clothes. He's greeted with enthusiasm, hey, come on in, and he's given the best seat, um, which in this place would probably be the one right there. I don't know. I don't know if anyone wants to sit in the front, but um, he's given the best seat. Picture nice pews or something. And in contrast, the poor man is treated pretty rudely, and he's told to stand in the back or sit on the floor or something. He's basically, they're treating him poorly, and they're saying, you aren't worthy of like this best seat. We're going to demote you, in a sense. So let's talk about James do a quick sidebar here. James, the author of this letter, uh, most historians believe he was probably the half-brother of Jesus, the physical half-brother, right? Jesus' Jesus father was God, the father, right? Jesus' father was God, the father, though confusing. James, his dad, was Joseph, the carpenter, right? So, but their mom was the same, so they're half-brothers. Um, he would have been... I think he would have been accustomed to this idea of partiality, and I've read some commentaries who, who, would, who would agree to this. It's, it would have been common for believers of that era to be partial to him. Here's why, because he was a super important figure in that time. The church, he was a leader in the church, the very first generation of Christians, and he was the dude that grew up with Jesus the Son of God, the Messiah, the guy that rose people from the dead, that did miracles. James would have been important based on this. He would have had people being partial to him and treating him with honor. He was the guy that ate meals with Jesus as a kid, that hung out with him in the work in the wood shop with his dad, uh, Joseph. He would have been left with the other apostles as a distinctly prominent figure. And he probably would have been revered to some extent. Now, Christians know that we're only supposed to revere Christ. But James, he was still pretty important. And I, I'm sure that just like the angels do in the whole Bible, James would have been continuously trying, like encouraging people, hey, man, it's, you know, don't make a big fuss over me. I'm just, I'm just a servant of the Lord. Uh, the point is this. There is a proper, a proper place for biblical honor where it's due. And I, I want to say that because we can't read that into this, hey, we treat everyone equally. Um, we do treat everyone equally, but there is a, such a thing as honor. First um, Timothy 5.17, Paul says, let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of a double honor, especially those who labor in the preaching and teaching. So James would have been given preference of a sort in, in a very healthy Way So his rich man, poor man example that we just read is not a license to withhold honor where it's due. There is a godly kind of honor. But rather, it's a charge to us to speak and act in a way that fits within our life of faith in the Lord of glory, to act and speak in such a way that doesn't dishonor, dishonor people because of that word appearance or apparent low station in life. He explicitly says that by acting in this way, they would have dishonored the poor man. They were dishonoring this guy. So, what's the real issue with this? Why does he walk the readers through this little example, this story? Verse 4, it says, Have you not then made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? 
He's saying you've become judges with evil thoughts. The sin of partiality is making an unwarranted distinction. In this example, it's based on appearance, and it's usually driven by self-serving motives that say the rich man, I'm judging him by appearance, he is more able, he's more likely to be able to do something for me. He's more likely to be able to provide some kind of a benefit. Like, this is the guy I want to be friends with because he's well off, he's got power, he's got money. So in Christ, these worldly distinctions have been removed. Slave or free, Jew or Gentile, men men or women were all children of God. We all have equal value as sons and daughters. The woman has no special access to the cross than than a man does. Um, the Jew, or in, you know, the Jew versus the Gentile, the Jew had no special access to God than the Gentile did, and I, that kind of blew them all away a little bit. But the Jew and the Gentile, which is a non-Jew or the Greek in this case, were both able to come to Christ and receive justification and forgiveness and freedom, both the Jew and the Greek. And the same with the master and the slave. The, 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 uh, you guys may have heard the phrase, the ground is level at the foot of the cross. So James continues, you have become judges with evil thoughts. So at its heart, partiality or favoritism is a judgment. Partiality or favoritism is a judgment. It's a corrupt perversion of judgment. So these brothers, as he refers to them in verse 1, being believers held to the faith in Christ, but were presumably having some trouble with uh, being impartial as God is impartial. In context, this partiality demonstrates a worthless faith or a dead faith as he gets into, as he calls it later in the chapter. So there's a lot of possibilities here, but one distinct one is it's we remember they were under severe persecution as sojourners as foreigners and they were um, someone under persecution would be tempted to treat the rich better because you would want to influence the guy who can help you out in your suffering and the rich have access to power and money that's that's nothing new that never changes Uh, these believers would have desired to gain extra favor wherever possible and anyone they interact with it's an opportunity for them to to get to make their lives better based on what this person could possibly do for them. It's a lack of faith, basically. It's a sinful, kind of an underhanded way to sort of game the situation by flattery or, you know, preference here, have the greatest seat. And instead of trusting the Lord in faith in the middle of this persecution, they were trying to, to game the system. In other words, they were being sinful, corrupt judges of people. And um, that is that has no place in the life of faith is what James is saying. So instead of viewing these trials with joy, as he instructed them to do uh, back in chapter 1, and trusting in the Lord, which is faith, to, prov- to provide relief from their suffering or protection from their, from their persecution, they were seeing people as resources to be used for their own self-benefit. That's what happens with partiality. And they were doing this based on how they looked. It was like, how can I get this guy on my side? This rich guy coming in the door. How can I get him on my side? 
or you know what can we get from from this guy what can we get from this lady it disregards and undermines the poor and the downtrodden because they there's a perceived benefit that poor can't do anything for me that guy's got shabby clothes what's he going to do you know which which lever of power is he going to pull in my favor and so it's it's using people for provision and and salvation and, ju- and they justify it in this way when they should have been looking to the Lord in faith so in my story earlier in that case the church judged me as a 19-year-old shabby person they judged me with partiality and they dishonored me and maybe that's why that happened so that I could have that as a story today I don't know but I, over the years I've often thought about that what was that about were they they're really were they really so far off? Like, what was that about? Um, I was a fellow fellow believer, but they applied a label of unbeliever on me based on how I looked, and they were <laughs> they were looking to use me. They weren't trusting in the Lord to bring real converts. They were saying, "He's shabby. Let's get his number up up on that scoreboard." Uh, he makes it clear that um, James makes it clear that the rich were the very people who would be most likely to oppress them and most likely to cause them legal issues, legal problems. And worst of all, these rich people, he says, were most likely to run the name of Christ through the mud, Christ the Lord of glory. So verse 6, he says, Are not the rich the ones who repress you and the ones who drag you into court? Are they not the ones who blaspheme the honorable name by which you called, which you were called? So it's always been the wealthy, it's always been the rich, who can afford justice, who can afford the time and money to take people to court. And James is pointing this out. He's saying, you guys got this backwards. You should be trusting the Lord and not favoring these rich guys. So the favoritism and preferential treatment in James' example would be like having a boa constrictor living under your bed. And I'm just gonna I'm gonna feed that every night in hopes that I won't become his next meal. These were the guys that were causing persecution. Um, so opposite of this, an act of true living faith would have been to follow Jesus's example in being impartial and trusting in faith for the Lord to provide needs despite like this really bad persecution that they're going through. Um, partiality is a sin. James makes it clear, and it's a sin for these reasons. Number one, impartiality, the opposite of partiality, impartiality, it's a character trait of God. God is just. God is loving. God has character traits. Impartiality is one of them. It's a divine and holy characteristic of God. Romans 2.11 says, for God shows no partiality. 1 Samuel 16.7 says, for the Lord sees not as man sees, Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. I heard an old Amish guy say once, you Christians look just like the world. He was looking on outward appearance. He wasn't judging as God judges. The Lord looks at the heart. Ephesians 6, 9 says, Masters, do the same for them and stop your threatening, knowing that he who is master who is both your master and your servant's master, is in heaven, and there is no partiality with him. There is no partiality with God. He 
is impartial. And that's the reason why partiality, which goes against God's character, is a sin. Number two, impartiality is part of God's law. So it makes sense that God would take his character and build that into the law. To be righteous, we need to be, we need to follow the law and be impartial as God is impartial. Partiality is a corrupt form of judgment. Leviticus 19.15 says, You shall do no injustice in court. You shall not be partial to the poor or defer to the great. But in righteousness, you will judge your neighbor. You will judge your neighbor in righteousness. You won't defer to him because he's poor. Like, I need to be, I need to be wrongly promoting him because he's poor or wrongly promoting him because he's rich. We shall not show partiality. Deuteronomy, uh, Deuteron- six, Deuteronomy 16, 19 says, You shall not pervert justice. Pervert justice. Remember, partiality is an evil form of judgment. He says, you shall not show partiality. Number three, Jesus, the Lord of glory, has a special place in his heart for the poor and the downtrodden, the outcast and the people who are marginalized, pushed to the edges. Uh, people, who you, people like this are usually the targets of the sin of partiality. Remember, Jesus came to seek and, and save the lost. In Luke 4, um, 4.18, he quotes the prophet Isaiah. And this is what Jesus said about his own mission. He said, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's, he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recover the sight of the blind, to set at liberty to those who are oppressed. These are the people that that are treated with partiality, and it goes against Jesus' mission, which is to these kinds of people. Praise the Lord for that. Uh, Jesus makes it clear that a life of faith must not only bear... Vis- uh, James makes it clear that a life of faith mustn't bear this kind of rotten fruit. Um, we have to bear good fruit. Partiality is a rotten fruit, and it's opposed to God's character. It breaks God's law, and it's opposed to Jesus' mission here on this earth to the poor and the downtrodden. So, bumping up to verse 12. Having provided a clear definition of partiality, James sums it up with a profound application based on this example, based on this lesson. He gives us this directive. He says, so speak and so act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty. Judged under the law of liberty. So don't be partial. First part, second part. We're going to act and speak like we're judged under the law of liberty. This is important. So in our life of faith, we have to act what our status is. We have to speak the truth of our status. So what is our status? We... As Christians, most of us in this room are probably Christians, we're those whose sin debt has been paid by Christ, right? And we're no longer subject to the condemnation of the law. He's telling us to speak and act like it, to speak and act like those who hold the faith in the Lord of glory from verse 1. He's telling us to speak and act as people with real faith that comes out in what we do. That comes out in actions. In other words, in other words, he's saying, "You guys are Christians. 
You need to start acting like it. You're Christians. You need to act like somebody who's judged under the law of liberty. He also refers to that as the royal law or the law of the king in verse 8. So what is this law of liberty? To read, um, I'm going to jump back to verse 8. If you really fulfill the royal law, according to the scriptures, quote, you shall love your neighbor as yourselves, end quote, you are doing well. You're doing well if you fulfill this, this law. But if you show partiality, you're committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. For whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has been guilty of all of it. And in the previous chapter, we read in verse 25, um, but the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being what? No hearer, but a doer who acts. Being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts. He will be blessed in his doing. By looking into this law of liberty and following it, you'll be blessed. So God gave mankind his law. It's good and perfect. God's law is good and perfect. It's a summary of what's required for human beings to be fully righteous. The original deal between God and man was, you guys obey me and you'll have, you'll have life. Uh, and then the fall happened and that, that, uh, went away. Um, the law teaches us that we need a savior. The law teaches us that God has a standard. I can't match the standard, so there's a gap. What do I got to do to fill that gap? The law teaches us that we need someone to close that gap. And that someone is Jesus. That is the purpose. That is the purpose of the law. We miss the mark and we're unable to follow it. To sin, the word sin means missing the mark. It's like shooting at a target. As a human being who's fallible, I'm going to shoot at this target you know, I'm practicing, I'm trying to be good, I'm trying to be good, I'm, and I'm missing, and I'm missing, and there's no way I can hit that target without Christ. Um, this is the state of us all from birth. Uh, Romans 3.20, Paul says, For by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight, that's God's sight, since the law, through the law, comes knowledge of sin. The law enables us to see what sin is, missing the mark. This is Everybody. So how do we get there There from here? How do we get from missing the mark, being under the law, to this law of liberty? Well, the answer is the gospel. The gospel is the good news of what Jesus did. So when the Holy Spirit grants you a measure of faith, you become able to understand and believe the gospel. Then you can see, then you can see that you... Have this fault, and you need a Savior. And you can accept Jesus' work as necessary and sufficient for you. Then you'll believe that Jesus is your King, your Lord, and your Savior. Even though you're unable to perfectly follow this law to every tiny detail, Jesus' saving work on the cross takes care of the punishment that you would have been responsible for. You are credited with the righteousness of Christ. We're credited with the righteousness of Christ. It's an amazing gift. So moving forward from that point in your life, you can then follow the law of liberty based on the ability given to you in the Holy Spirit. It was a really good reading we had. It said a lot of these things. Um, really, really good choice. Um, the law of liberty is Jesus' redemptive law of love that Christians live by and that Christians will be judged by. 
This term is used to describe the freedom and liberation that comes with following our Lord Jesus. It's characterized by love. It's characterized by love, grace, and forgiveness. He calls us believers to act as he acts with love, with mercy, and justice that is not perverted. Remember how partiality is a perversion of justice? He says it this way, Jesus does in Matthew 22. And one of these guys, a lawyer, came and asked him a question to test him. He said, teacher, which is the great commandment of the law? And Jesus said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And second one like it is, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all of the law and the prophets. The prophets were the guys who brought the law. He sums up the law in a way that's completely liberating. Remember, we're defining the law of liberty. Number one, the totality of the law can be met through love. The love of God and the love of other people. The love of others second. And anyone with faith in Christ will be given this love And the transgressions are covered by Jesus' work on the cross. This is all the gospel. This is good news. Galatians 5, 6, For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision. Think about the Jew law followers and then the Gentiles who didn't have that. Neither those circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. Faith working through love. That's an important phrase. The law of liberty is faith working through love. It's when the law is written on our hearts and we obey God because we get to, because we love to, not because we have to. We get to. Second Corinthians 3.17 says, Now the Lord is spirit, and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom or liberty. This is a law of freedom. Both faith and love are gifts from the Holy Spirit. And His presence in us, the Holy Spirit in me, is necessary for me to act and speak as one who will be judged under the law of liberty. I'm in the faith to the Jesus, the Lord of glory, and His Holy Spirit enables me to live in this way. Verse 8 that we read in, in James 2, it emphasizes that in the absence of faith in Christ, individuals will be subject to a stricter judgment under the law where a violation of even the smallest part will lead to a complete break. You're a complete lawbreaker if you break one, because the whole law is complete. As he condensed the law to a simple principle of loving God and loving others, James teaches us that exhibiting partiality or favoritism is not loving, and it goes against the true faith. It's an evil judgment, and it is not based on faith. Such, such actions violate God's law and ultimately will result in condemnation. Romans 13, 8 says, Owe no one anything except to love each other, for the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. This is faith working through love. Believers will be judged under this law of liberty where Christ shows us mercy by delivering from by delivering us from the punishment that we deserve. And he fulfills the law perfectly in our place. He's telling us to speak and act like it. James reminds reminds us of this. He 
remind us that we're under the law of liberty. Act like it. You're a Christian. Act like it. You're, you're following the Lord of glory. Act like it. Don't be partial. It's an evil judgment. God's not, God's not partial. He's impartial. God judges perfectly and justly. Follow, follow his example. Amen. It's good. How am I doing? Is this clear? So, so that this verse 13, for judgment is without mercy to one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. It's a profound verse. There's a lot in this. Remember, partiality is a judgment. He gets to the core of this. It's without mercy. Partiality is merciless. It's merciless. And anyone acting in a partial manner is judging evilly and being merciless. Jesus said, blessed are the merciful. The merciful are blessed because why? They will receive mercy. James is saying that those with real faith are judged under the law of liberty, but he concludes with a pretty big warning. This is a serious deal. His warning is, for judgment without for judgment is without mercy to the one who shown no mercy. Judgment is without mercy to the one has shown no mercy, who has shown no mercy. So those with dead faith or false faith are in danger of a more merciless judgment. A judgment without mercy. And those outside the faith will have no benefit of any mercy on judgment and judgment. Jesus has to be your Lord and Savior for you to receive mercy from God. That's just the way it is. To illustrate this further, you guys probably remember the parable of the unforgiving servant. Um, In this parable, Jesus tells the story of a servant uh, who owed his master a large amount of money that he couldn't repay. The master ordered that that servant and his family be sold into slavery to pay off his debt. And the servant begged for mercy until the master, the boss, was moved with compassion, and he had mercy on the servant that owed him a very large amount of money, and he released him from his debt. He said, we're good. I'm taking away your debt. I'm having mercy on you. However, this servant, after this little scenario, went out into the street and met another lower servant that owed him a penny or two, a tiny amount. And he demanded that he repay immediately this tiny amount, after he had been forgiven of his huge debt. When this fellow servant begged him for what? For mercy. The unforgiving servant refused to give mercy. And he had him thrown into prison. So when the master heard about this, of course, he was outraged because the master is perfectly just. He was outraged and he called that unforgiving servant back and he said uh, in verse 33, he said, you wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me And should you not have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? Jesus also said, be merciful even as your father is merciful. Part of living under the law of liberty is loving God, loving others, and it will result in mercy. Partiality is merciless. The person who you are being partial against has no say in it. You are acting evilly, and judging them when, when we're partial to them. Um, God in his mercy fulfills justice to us because he's merciful. 
by transferring the judgment that we deserve for our sins over to Jesus. He said, this infraction has to be paid for, but he had mercy. He said, God is merciful. And he said, we're going to set this deal up. Jesus is going to pay for your sin. And we are to act in the same way, and this is what James is getting at in this partiality lesson. So the last part of verse 13, after we have our warning, the warning is false faith or dead faith are in danger of more merciless judgment, and those outside of the faith will not have any mercy. He says, mercy triumphs over judgment. Mercy triumphs over judgment. And it's an incredible... It's an incredible statement. Mercy triumphs over judgment. He ends it with this because it's it's loaded with meaning and encouragement. This is this is the news we need to know. Just as the early Christians would have done when they read this, when they got to that line, we believers in this room can take joy in that reality that mercy triumphs over judgment. He transferred all that the payment, the judgment over to Jesus for, on our in our on our behalf. His mercy doesn't set aside judgment because ju- God is perfectly just. God cannot overlook sin or somehow let it be unpaid. No, mercy to us believers has been made possible by judgment being transferred over to Jesus. And that's amazing news on our behalf. We're thankful for that in the same way as James encouraged them with mercy triumphs over judgment, we need to be encouraged by that too. And it will spur us to more mercy because God is merciful and he has been merciful to us. He's been very merciful. So what is our lesson? We need to love God and love others. The law of liberty is based on love. And it's by doing so, we fulfill the law of liberty. We fulfill the law of liberty. We'll be judged by it, but it's telling you, it's better to be judged by every nitpicking detail of the law without Christ to take your to take our punishment. Second, let's put aside partiality. Put aside, putting aside partiality is to remove your natural tendency is to not judge people wrongly or evilly based on how they look, um, and it's it even goes further than that. We need to be merciful in our judgment of others. Let's not kid ourselves. We judge others all the time. You judge people with a glance. I judge people with a glance. I look at somebody and I, I've made a judgment. Poof, like that. That's my sin nature. Jesus looks at the heart and he wants us to do the same. So we need to treat everyone as Jesus would with mercy. And mercy is born from faith working through love. James is telling us what a real faith looks like. Hey, guys. Your faith is going to build. You're going to be more complete. And guess what? It's going to result in you not judging wrongly other people based on how they look. It's going to result in more mercy towards others. And God will be merciful back to us. So we need to pray. We can do this. We need to pray and ask God for help in this. And if you have the Holy Spirit, he is working in you to develop this this merciful, pure way of living that that adheres with God's character. Remember, God is impartial. God is impartial, and he wants us to be impartial. And so we will do that. There's a lot of impartiality out there in the, in the culture right now. Sorry, there's a lot of partiality 
there's a lot of favoritism and bias, right? And so we, in our culture, everybody's kind of been flattened. We still have the super rich and we still have the super poor, but we have this middle class that's sort of this new invention. And we don't see a lot of that. You know, we, we're not going to get a rich guy coming through that door that we're all just going to like, oh, sir, thank you for coming. I noticed that gold ring. Come over here and, and sit in this front seat. That's, that's way less likely to happen. But should we treat somebody with preference based on their race? No, that's racism. That's partiality. Should we, should we treat some, somebody with preference based on their status as victim or not victim? That's partiality. That goes against God's nature. So we, that is our charge from James, to work out our faith in the Lord of glory by being merciful and not wrongly judging and judging in an evil way. When you have mercy on those around you, the Father in heaven will make sure that you receive mercy. That's a, that's a promise. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this lesson on partiality. We thank you for being merciful and giving us a way to be right before you through Jesus and his work on the cross. Um, thank you for your word, which teaches us, it corrects us, and it trains us in righteousness. Let us be thoroughly equipped for every good work by staying in your word, by reading it and praying. Give us soft hearts so that your purposes for us, each individually, Holy Spirit, will land on us and take root. Um, as we go out into the week, Lord, please just grant us repentance towards you and towards one another as necessary. Grant us forgiveness. Help us to honor those who are downtrodden and help us to be merciful to one another as demonstrated by your example. Jesus, let your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven until the earth is filled with your glory and the knowledge of your mercy and your goodness and your just, your justness. This fills, fills the entire earth. In Jesus' name, amen.